It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. I said, what you know about it? It's the Hello, hello, you're listening to The Stew, I'm Jason Stewart, this is our food podcast, Andre Conoparo, say hello. Hello. One guest today, Holly, what's good? Helen. <laughs> Helen, <laughs> Helen Hollyman. <laughs> um, how are you? I'm great, how are you? I'm, I'm, I've been better, overall, <laughs> but I'm, I'm fine. I was, uh, we were out of town for a wedding all week, and then I had to like DJ the last two nights in a row, so I went to bed at like 4 a.m. the last two days, Ooh. so I'm a little mentally frazzled, <laughs> but you were nice enough to bring some wine over. Yeah. That's going to maybe help. What kind of wine is this again? Recharge the Jets. Let's see. Recharge the Jets. I don't know. It's something from Lou. It is a... A white wine from France. <laughs> That's right. Well played. That's exactly I like how the, I would I like the build up in like, that situation. Situation. It's a white wine. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. It's white wine. It's real good. Yeah. It's nice. Just piping hot. <laughs> white wine, real That's good. That's the way we serve it here. Mm-hmm. So, Helen, you're uh, the editor-in-chief of Munchies. Incredible. The Vice, right. the Vice magazine food vertical. Is that what you would call that? Yeah. yeah. What is that? That's it. I... I a vertical seems like a made-up thing, but it's just a website where we put a lot of food stuff. So. You're more than just a website. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I spend time on that website. You do an incredible job. I mean, this term vertical, is that like... That's a thing that's been popping up the last music. couple of years. It's, mm-hmm. It means like if you have like an... Ex, like if Fader Magazine does like a, a separate thing that's like for encouraging like women in music... And that it has like its own name. Got that it. would be like a vertical, I guess. Okay. Where it's like a subdivision, but it's a little bit more than just a subdivision. Maybe. Maybe a wing of yeah. a home. Perhaps? Makes perfect sense. Maybe I'm just outing myself of being so out of the loop. But it's like, a, what's vertical? When I said vertical, I was saying it sort of in jest because okay. I don't. I don't like. It's a synergy type word. It's a fucking synergy ass word. To Got say. it. Okay. <laughs> Understood. Put a pin in it, kind of thing. Uh, and and you live in New York. Originally from Texas. Yes. Then you lived in New Orleans. Yep. Yep. So, so you I've, live you live in like the three drinkingest places in America. That's why I bring you wine at mm-hmm. like two o'clock in the afternoon. You're For listeners at home, her skin is glowing despite <laughs> her clear alcoholism. Yeah. How really, do you do really it? nice. Thank you guys. Someone buys. Nice. Uh, someone spends money on products. Yeah. Looks it's good. sunscreen. It's sun. No. You know that's never heard. What, of it. what yeah. number of SPF do you use? Usually like sixty. I'm mm. not even kidding. Mm-hmm. You are yeah. a white girl. Yeah, <laughs> we we all are pretty white. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. We all could very Does much Aesop use go up to sixty. I no idea, <laughs> but I feel like if the three of us went to the beach right now, we would probably roast. Yeah. pretty quick. How you dare you? Look you can smell what the rock is cooking. <laughs> Look at that damn that brown nice. arm. Yeah, he does. Like a, he does lots of hiking. 
So he likes to. Oh, yeah. He likes to get out there. I like to get sizzled mm-hmm. and then hit a cold shower. <laughs> a little roasty. That sounds lovely. Although Do you I plan f- on hiking this weekend while you're in LA on Holy Day. Oh, absolutely. Really? Yeah. He's got yeah. he's got the routes for you. Really? Yeah. Because yeah. most because even I'm afraid to go hiking in this heat. Yeah, I mean, how hot is it at like six a.m.? Is it doable? A thousand sure. degrees? No, it'll be like eighty probably. I, I was going to say like six? yeah. I was gonna splitting hairs, but yeah, like seven mid seventies at six in the morning. Are you are you, do you do a six a.m. hike though? No. <laughs> you do a six a.m. I was just, I was just curious. Wake up? I was just curious. No, no, not if I don't have to. But I mean, you know, if I'm going to go hiking hot. tomorrow at six a.m. No, probably like ten. Yeah, maybe eleven. What do you wear when you hike? You want to go? Yeah, I wear. It's a fun hike. I'm wearing you just like go. shorts and a tee. Yeah, and then are you just like drenched when you come home? Completely, completely, <laughs> like so fucked up, like completely drenched in sweat. Dirty, gross, kind of smell bad. You know, there's like those little like sticky things in your <laughs> socks and all that stuff. But he'll be a bad boy and do that as cardio and then go work out Ooh. when he when he really wants to hit it hard. But I can't do that in this because it's like 103 degrees here Fahrenheit, uh, Celsius. That's what around 40 or so. What for our international <laughs> listeners? What is your pre-hike early morning meal? Is there one? Is it coffee? Ooh. So I don't work out as much as I should because I live in New York. So. And you're busy and you walk everywhere. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I like to wake up. You get a lot up. of steps in in New York, though? Yeah. Yeah. What, what's, your, what's your steps looking like on the iPhone? <laughs> Let's go back to your breakfast. <laughs> this is God a fucking damn it, food Jason. podcast, okay? I need to know how many steps you <laughs> take on average. I had to turn off like the steps on my phone because I felt like it was too creepy how much information yeah. they know you about you. Yeah, you putting in the cloud? You're, yeah, it was, you are just, correct. it was a little bit too much. So, I don't know. Welcome, and you're in but... some nasty places. We were talking about that before the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. You didn't yeah. say any of that. Yes, I, yeah. I don't want people to know where I'm, where <laughs> I'm I don't, at. I don't want Steve Jobs to know no, where I'm walking to in, the, in, my, in my private time. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Steve. So, you, so, yeah, breakfast routine. What's, what's going on with that? I don't really eat breakfast. Do you guys? Same. No breakfast. Yeah. It's, I know it's bad. Like, they say that you're supposed to wake up and, like, you know, within 30 minutes, you should eat something because it helps jumpstart your blood sugar. But I don't do and that. metabolism. Yeah. I don't know. I'll do like a couple scoops of like fiber and protein powder with like some cider vinegar and water just so like something's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, or a piece of fruit. But that's kind of where it, that's, that's it. That's good. That's about it. Because I, I do subscribe a little bit to like something. Yeah. Something. You other get than something coffee and water. But <laughs> I also could very easily skip it. I kind of have to force myself. I haven't eaten any food yet today. I, had, I made a smoothie for a lunch. This is his food podcast. Why? Yeah, why haven't you eaten anything? I had nachos last night at 3 in the morning. And I wasn't <laughs> did you go to El Flamin? I did. Yeah, my guy. Um, my guy. There's a, there's a fun truck by his house. There's a, there's a fun taco truck. It has its truck. own stoner menu. It's Ooh. like good Mexican, legit Mexican taco truck LA food, but then they also have like the turn. They have a 420 menu. friendly menu. 420 friendly side. So what kind of nachos did you have? I, I got chicken Jalapeno nachos. popper. Jalapeno <gasps> popper nachos. No, they're, no, they're not. <laughs> what? But the jalapeno popper nachos reminded me of something in, in this cookbook that we're going to talk about for the last three minutes of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Uh, Checks out. Yeah, just to uh, tease that in. It was just a chicken nacho. But because I was trying to be like the, the chicken they use there, it's like very. I think it's stewed like 
breast meat. Yep. So it's a very clean chicken. It's not greasy or oily or, or fatty at all. So it's, it feels like some nice quality, like solid white meat protein, even though chicken is probably the nastiest protein that you can currently consume. And the stuff I'm buying at a taco truck where it's $6 for a whole plate of nachos has mm-hmm. to be the worst quality chicken I could buy and put in my body. Mm-hmm. But, you know, <laughs> this is why I hike. Was it was it melted cheese or cheese sauce? No sauce. Never a sauce. Always a sauce. You're, you know that, goddammit. But you're a Texas. Maybe you, so. You're probably you got a sauce the queso head, head over here well, in the corner. Yeah, actually. Do you know where? I'm a melty boy. Well, what do you think? I mean, where did nachos start? Mexico. I mean, technically yes, but a lot of people say San Antonio. I didn't so, know that. A proper nacho is not a plate. It's one really big chip mm-hmm. that is like perfectly created by itself. So it has like one ref- chip with the cheese and then the the pickled jalapeno on it. So and now, then, so the yeah. origin story is now contemporarily probably the deconstructed nacho. Yeah, yeah. Where the original like, form the original of nacho <laughs> now with chefs be like, this is a deconstructed single nacho, a perfect bite. But the in problem every way. with the I th- the problem with that is like when you get the tr- like the traditional nacho in its purest form. When that arrives, like when you order nachos at a restaurant and they come out like that, everyone's like, oh, fuck. Like, yeah. <laughs> nobody wants those nachos. Like, even though they, like, somebody put a lot of time into this, like, having them all laid out perfectly. And, but, like, that's not something that I've ever really craved. I want a big old pile. But here's the thing, Same. like, if you get, if you go to Dallas or you go to San Antonio, you're like, I want nachos. You get a plate of nachos, but there's like six, and they're each for you. It's like so thoughtful and delicious. No. And it's like, so you're not yeah. allowed to oh, share guys. them. I mean, you could share them if you want, but right. like, why would you? Because they're like individual perfect bites, and but it's not a perfect bite if it's just cheese and jalapeno. No, no, there's there people mix it up. They and, add stuff to it that but, you could add a little salsa or. Like, and is this queso? Is this cheese sauce or is this melted cheese? No, no, melted. it's melted. Ugh. Queso is a whole different thing. That I understand. Yeah. I understand that being very specific, Queso's especially so anywhere in Texas. Queso is amazing, but. But queso is for a dip, not for a drop, I say. I'm out. I mean... I want my queso in a cup, and I want the chip to go into it, straight into my mouth. I don't want to have chips with the queso on top. All that queso. It's all soggy and shit. It's not good. A good chip can withstand a good 15 minutes of cheese sauce. I wish. That's (laughs) ridiculous to think that it's going to get soggy. I haven't found a good chip like that in years. Oh. You got to come to Texas. Yeah. A good chip and a good man is hard to find in this fucking town. (laughs) (laughs) Do they have thick chips in Texas? Yeah. It's like real. Yeah. They make them out of old sopes. That sounds yeah. like a strip club near the airport. Thick chip. <laughs> yeah. Give me thick a chip. thick chip. Yeah. I, I would go there. It's like two for one Tuesdays at Thick Chips by the airport. <laughs> so I don't eat breakfast, so I have more room to eat my fourth meal. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I really need to stop doing that. Oh, you're fine. I mean, I'm fine. But you don't like, do it very often. You do it once in a while. You're fine. Yeah, I've just been. It's in, just been a you know when you great catch shape. those food waves where like you do you eat so well for like two weeks and you're like I'm fucking killing it. I'm eating so much quinoa and mm. I wake up and I feel great. And, and then I you go to Santa Fe for five days. Day, and then you have those two weeks where it's just every day. It's like shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have eaten that. Sure. Shouldn't have eaten that. I mean, like Santa Fe wasn't that bad. But when was, you, and also when you travel a lot, just yeah. like I guess I'm just gonna eat this. Wolfgang Puck, 2,000 calories, Caesar salad at the JFK 5 terminal. I also think... It's not good. It kind of like... it. 
it when it rains it pours like sometimes you'll suddenly have like brother. five people visiting you in a month and they all you can't be like we're gonna have brown rice and vegetables tonight <laughs> they're like in la and they just want to rage i want howling rays again yeah exactly it's just like Tell me about this double double. Yeah. Are those good? It's you're just being like, oh, <laughs> like no more visitors. <laughs> I can't do it anymore. Yeah, I but actually, also super fun. I mean, like that's like it's tough being a food influencer, Andre. We get it. I don't know what that is, <laughs> <laughs> but I do have friends that like to eat food. Well, so I have a friend here who just as of two days ago, pulled the, oh, I'm on the Whole30, I can't actually like do anything this weekend. Do you have friends like that who are like, I can't eat, I can't yeah. drink, I can't go out? That can be you just delete their number. That can be us <laughs> yeah. once in a while. I mean, I'll do something like a 21-day. You had, you didn't drink for a month. <laughs> it happens once in a while. It happens once in a while. But like, Try to clean out the But closet. I feel like whenever I do, I never do a full thing. Like if I'm going to do a Whole30 then I'll be like, but I'm definitely like drinking still through it or something. Or like, <laughs> or like, so he, he just takes what like he wants, leaves the rest. Or yeah. like, it, like, I'm not drinking for a month, so I'm going to like smoke a lot of pot. Sorry, mom. Or like something like that. It's you know, like you have to balance it out or else you're just going to go crazy. Like, how sure. will you even sleep at night without drugs or alcohol? You know what I mean? <laughs> Same. <laughs> Same. Or nachos. One of the three sleep groups, as I like to call them. Yeah, I, we understand each Science. other. So, so how did you start working? How did you become the editor in chief of Munchies? Did you start off as in the mailroom and climb your climb your way through no. to the top, <laughs> or were you just instantly appointed the highest position at this company at this vertical? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so Munchies was a show on Vice dot com for a couple years, and uh, the two executive producers of that show, Lauren Cinnamon and Chris Grosso. Realized that like it was the most successful, one of the most successful video franchises at Vice, mm-hmm. um, and Vice as a whole started Call to realize. A vertical, please. <laughs> well, yeah. at this point, it was not a vertical. <laughs> so Vice realized like, oh, people are really into food um, in our audience, and so this was about four and a half years ago. Um, so Lauren and Chris came up with the idea to launch the food vertical. And nice. they were looking for someone to create the site, and they found me. Um, so yeah, for so you've been so you've been from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of worked together with them, and we started with one website, and now we're in ten countries internationally. Wow! So I oversee a lot of different. We have editors in each place. We're launching in Italy next month, so. Lots of pasta so, oh, content. So I, okay, mm-hmm. I get what you're saying now. Yeah. It's specific language, specific yes. country. Got it. Who's okay. the LA editor? We don't have an LA editor anymore. Actually, um, we are LA's dead, Jason. <laughs> the food scene here is fucking dead. People are too healthy out here for us. <laughs> Javier no. did. He was a guest on this pod, actually. Yes. He was awesome. No, he, Javier's so amazing, cool. and he has such an amazing palate and knows LA in a way that I feel like. No one else. So then, where'd you fire him? (laughs) (laughs) He's a great guy, and (laughs) he's awesome. He is awesome. So yeah, but we're essentially like, you know, we keep launching, and I think the challenge with Munchies in general, we're not like typical media outlets for food because we're not writing, um, you know, the best restaurant lists, or we're not. Mm. 
we we have them. I would argue, yeah. In the mix, I mean, but it's not our kind of bread and butter, if you will. We're really. I see what you're saying. I just meant like the content. Some meter bullshit. The, I would. I yeah. I just like I'll be looking for something a little less than maybe. Never mind. Yeah. Well, the eater right, editor but, is going to be on next week. Yeah. <laughs> so if you look at you know food media, I think there's so much great content. You have recipe content, you have useful city guides and things like that. And then there's a lot of culture stuff. And I think mm-hmm. everyone in the space is now doing a lot of culture stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but our challenge is always like, we are the world's first millennial food site. So meaning that we're, sorry, the global millennial food site. So mm-hmm. like basically everything that we publish, we constantly have to live in a world between local and international. So like how does a story that might be local appeal to somebody in Dubai and vice versa? You you do it on acid. Yeah. If it's for vice. Mm-hmm. That too. Totally. Yeah. That, that also we went to a coffee roasting village on acid and here's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. But also so broad but also relevant. Well, I mean, we're trying to tell stories about people through food, essentially. Right. And I think that's the thing, too, is like I've worked in food media for about 10 years. And when I started out, there were quote-unquote blogs. And there yep. was traditional print media and nothing like the landscape that we're seeing now existed. And mm-hmm. I think what's been really exciting is that it used to be sort of the elders, people who are super knowledgeable and um, older skewing and had apprenticed for years and years and years. And now I think food is a platform for a lot of different voices and um, stories to tell beyond just restaurant stories. Do you think it's so, oversaturated right now? I, I feel mean, like it is a little bit. I think food is definitely at its height. I think it's hit like pop culture status. I mean, you have celebrities doing food shows. You've got, you know, Instagram influencers. <laughs> Do you think that there's going to be a, a food bubble that pops or is it even something that could pop? Because people are just going to eat forever. I don't know. I mean, I think what's really interesting is young people. Like if you think about the Gen X kids, like they're, they've grown up with the media landscape that is right now. So their language for food is so developed in a way that our palates aren't even developed because they're so young. Like, take mm-hmm. a show like MasterChef Junior. Have you guys ever seen it? Mm-hmm. No. No, I mean, but, <laughs> but no. I have seen it. it. Yeah, I have yeah, seen yeah. it. For sure. It's some, some of the darkest television on <laughs> available but for viewing. It's pretty crazy. Like, those kids are, like, there was a kid that won. I think her name was Madison or something, and she was probably eight or nine years old, and she's like, oh, I just sous vide this thing, or oh, I just right. made like a cow mm-hmm. soy. Like, you're eight years old, and you know what cow soy is. Sure. Mm-hmm. Just from her brain. It's crazy. So, I don't know. I mean, I think that will it I mean, It's pop? just mostly coconut milk. I don't know. I don't give a shit. <laughs> but, no, but it's, it's, I'm it's, totally kidding. It's interesting so that something that's so... It's incredible. Uh, it's totally so, incredible. Something that's so universally consumed, like food, has kind of taken longer to hit that point. Like, because you see it all the time with like sports, or like you see like here's like a skate like a five year old who can do like a backflip on a skateboard, and like you see stuff like that all the time, or like a basketball player child who is just the new Michael Jordan, but you never really see it other than like Flynn, the child prodigy chef guy. Like, but now on on Master Chef Junior, there's just here's all these kids who are so good. But like, I wonder, are they actually good at cooking, or are they just like? Are they just some like nerdy little kids who know about this stuff? But do they actually have the ability to really know how to do it well and like 
have a developed enough palate? I don't know. Or I mean, like just because you have, there's so much experience that you have to have logged, you know, years of of hard work mm-hmm. logged to really turn into a master chef. <clears throat> to do to do the high end um, technical cooking that they're doing, probably, you know, like that that part might suffer, but that kind of sincere interest and kind of rustic, more simpler, but very specific and attention paid to detail cooking at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think like, I think an eight year old could do it practice wise. I mean, yeah. if you're, if they're allowed and kind of emboldened by their parents to be around heat and knives and not be scared of it and embrace it and be mm-hmm. pay attention. I guess yeah. that part's good. I mean, like Doogie Howser was a doctor by the time he was like 11. That's a good point, actually. So, but I mean, can every kid do it? Can you put a kid of 30 kids in a classroom and be like, who's good at math? It's going to be fewer as far as like who's got a pension for it, who does it well. But like, yeah, I think you can get some prodigies for sure. And they migrate. They migrate to that TV show. It's not that's the, Well, that's the thing that like, I'm... I they're w- not picking kids off the street being like, all right, come on in. We're going to cook right now. But I've, I've met a couple of those like child chef people and it's 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 kind of weird like you can tell like their only goal in life is to become like a famous food sure. chef but, that's but celeb- also like when you see like a little kid who's good at basketball you can tell all they want to do is be in the nba but that's that's totally normal but, and fine yeah i think that's the thing though i think we the celebrification of food like that's the era that we just live in absolutely 100% and i think you know like i did an interview with jacques papan and we talked about basically like his life advice for young chefs. And he's like, when I was... Do it in a French accent, please. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he started working at age 14, and he worked until age 20 as a chef, basically. like He moved up the ranks through this really amazing restaurant, and as he apprenticed and he finally moved to Paris and he worked in uh, kitchens there, you know he talked a lot about how the goal was for every single chef to cook exactly the same perfectly so that you could never tell whose it was. He was like the nights that you could tell Mm. who had a signature on it was bad because that was not the point of that dining. That's Mm -hmm. fascinating. And so he was like, frankly, when I talk to young chefs now, it, I don't want to, you know, speak for him, but he kind of basically said, like, I feel bad for them in a way because there's so much pressure to kind of put their signature on it. Mm-hmm. And there's this sort of the rise of the individual. And I think that's true of probably a lot of mediums, not just food. But I think that yeah, America is so obsessed with celebrity. It's like our greatest export at this point. You know, it's like the Kardashian culture. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, t- just a kid like who wants to open their own restaurant at 18, is that anything new? No. Like, go Mm -hmm. to France. They've been doing that for 100-plus years. Mm -hmm. But I think there is a... People care a lot about uh, being known instead of just being like, hey, I make good food. And I I think that's tricky with restaurant culture um, because running a restaurant's really hard and yeah. I think it's a long game and I think being a celebrity chef it's tricky you know as you keep going but well I couldn't one I couldn't agree more I'm so articulate but also I feel like there's such a loss of respect for the food itself and so much more about like you said being a celebrity but also about the ego and the identity as opposed to what food is and what it does for us and how we eat it and how we share it I mean it's 
It's just like it becomes fashion, <laughs> and it, it's like the furthest thing from what excites me about food. And it, it's so alienating, part of that culture. And that's to, why I have him on the podcast to bounce me out, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Nachos over here. <laughs> no, but it is. It's it's that that's that Kardashian element of show and and just like look how I made this better than you guys with more dazzling ingredients and it looks better and I'm cool now. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely that. It's definitely like the how alienating certain restaurant experiences can be basically detract the the aspect of sharing and bringing people together. How hard is it to get into... Like a vespertine? Yeah, exactly. It's just like it's not... It becomes a different experience. And those experiences aren't mutually exclusive. It's just I gravitate to one a lot more... Ex- Strongly, I mean, I think food can be art in ways that it doesn't always have to necessarily be the thing you're going to eat before you die, the last thing you want. But it can be an experience that's really incredible and interesting and thoughtful. But those, they're just different experiences. And yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's not. <laughs> but it's good. But it really is why I like to have you on here because I need I need this balance because I'm like, I definitely fall victim into being the you know, the Kardashian-ass <laughs> world of food. Once in a while. Once in a while. But, you know. But, I, but I'm but i aware of that, and I know that I need rustic Andre over here to bring me back down to earth. I, yeah. And then you need me to just give you a little booster and get those. He doesn't He, he doesn't have social media. He doesn't, he's not on Instagram. He's not on Twitter or any, anything like that. That's true. And then I'm on it a little too much, so it's kind of like it's a good combo. He's the yin to my yang. A little Mutt and Jeff over here. <laughs> it's good. Uh, well, let, well, we need, we should talk about this book that we're yeah. you're on your worldwide press tour. <laughs> of course, you had to hit everywhere, this. <laughs> everywhere. First uh, stop on the world tour. This the book's late night meals from the world's best chefs. Yeah, yeah, you got it. And and. Munchies has put out books before, other no. books. This is the first book. No, this book. is our first book ever, yeah. So basically it's a culmination of the show that launched the website. And we ended up retitling Munchies to Chef's Night Out. So the show was retitled, and then we took that name and made it our site. So Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, which I think a lot of people, it's pretty funny, we still have a lot of cooks that like, I'll run into or just random people that I meet when I'm traveling who are like, oh my God, I love munchies. And I'm like, oh, cool, thanks. And then I realize, oh, you're just talking about the show. Talking about Chef's Night <laughs> right, 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 right. Because they subscribe to like the YouTube player and they, you know, sure. mm-hmm. kind of watch that. But um, yeah, basically, we have over 200 episodes at this point. We filmed all of them. I was on one of them. I know. That's incredible. We should talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about it. But, uh, yeah, this book's pretty amazing. I mean, there are over 65 chefs in it. There's actually, like, more along the lines of 80, if you really counted it up. How many recipes um, are in it? There are 65 recipes. So, but there's also a that's lot chill. of... chill. It's pretty chill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's how we're marketing this book, is pretty chill. It's a chill amount of recipes. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm slowly trying to write a cookbook right now, and it seems like a very daunting thing. But when I see 65, I'm like, that's not that bad. It's yeah, it's definitely. But that, I mean, a that's lot, a low amount of recipes for compared to most cookbooks, though. No, it's it's pretty standard. But there's it's not just recipes. We also have things like um, how to drink mezcal with Enrique Olvera, or we mm-hmm. have um, 
you know, how to... How to drink vodka like the Russians. Exactly. Look, the first, the first thing in the book is how to make your own fernet. Take my money. Yeah. Like, it's so great. <laughs> I love that, that it opens with, like, how to bootleg your own alcohol. I love that, too, but then I was like... I didn't want Fernet to be this easy to make. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like it's like any recipe, but it, but it's How like fine it is. But it's so it's just it was a fun way to open the book. It takes, and, it's a daytime to learn, a lifetime to master. Sure, Fernet Fernetery Fernetery. It's Fernetery. But also, I really love how the table of contents is organized, like how you divided all the sections. It's one of the most, and I like cookbooks. I'm someone who likes to cook from cookbooks. Not everyone's like that. He's not like that. Well, we tried to engineer it in a way where it's basically like the show. Like it starts sure. out very tame, and then by the end of it, it's just like really good luck. Yeah. You've probably <laughs> called somebody to like bail you out of jail. Yes, or you're in an alleyway, or you're next to like the nacho truck, and. Mm-hmm. Either way, you're, I think... You're washing the vomit out of your hair. <laughs> you know, there's definitely... There are recipes that are pretty much late night food that mm-hmm. you, during the daylight, might look at yourself and judge yourself a little bit. But then there's also really amazing recipes that you could make at dinner parties. Like, we have this incredible Dungeness crab with black bean and butter sauce um, from Keo. And we actually started the book with mm-hmm. Fernet because that is the alcohol that people drank the most on the show. Mm-hmm. And it's come it's up. It's a real chef's booze. It literally is. And yeah. a bartender's booze. It's yeah. just like an, it's that food and drink industry. It made me, um, I was not happy to learn how much sugar goes into Fernet. There's a, well, so true Fernet is much more complicated than what yeah. we created. Yes. Uh, the recipe that we have is from Sam Anderson, who is the beverage director at Mission Chinese Food. And he's kind of just, if you haven't had his cocktails, they're pretty masterful and mm. amazing. And he uh, created this recipe with us that basically you could pull anything from your garden and it you basically steep it for six weeks and then you add a bunch of crazy stuff to it if you want. But... The nice thing is you can build off of that. You can like customize it and make it your own. But I think one of my favorite cocktails in the book is actually um, it's from Joe Beef. It is mm, called uh, the Rene Angelil. May he rest in peace. That's yeah. not the title. It's, it's just Rene Angelil. Sure. Um, but basically, it's a cocktail that's dedicated to Rene. You know. Uh, so there's For a lot of fun stuff. At home, could you explain who that is? <laughs> Uh, Rene Angelil is the now deceased husband of Celine Dion. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I was like, is, this, is that, like, is is this that the name of like a legendary French chef who's who I've never heard of before, and now I feel like an idiot? But it's, no, it sounds like it, right? It's the guy. It was like the really rich guy, kind of balding, gray. He's mm-hmm. no longer with us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He supported her during those golden years. That's right. What's a balding gray guy? Yeah. Yeah. R.I.P. Yeah, it's a combination of things. Uh, mm, that's my favorite kind of cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> it's the kind that you're gonna have late at night. You're gonna have you to wanna, buy the book if you want to know how. To yeah, make I'm not gonna tell Rene. you what's in it because it's so good. You need to bring it to the, the karaoke bar and sing. My heart will go on. <sighs> Dang. What's your What's your karaoke song? Your go to. Depends on the vibe. I have a theory that. Uh, I don't know about you coke guys. Coke or no coke. <laughs> <laughs> when you go into a karaoke space with people, 
that you know or you don't know. Mm-hmm. Everyone's super awkward because they're probably not drunk yet. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. have to start them off. You got to warm them up. So I start with Backstreet Boys or something that mm-hmm. everyone knows mm-hmm. or Spice Girls. Mm-hmm. You build that up. And then when two or three hours pass, it's Shania Twain, any man Ooh. of mine. Ooh. You know, I like a Twain karaoke. <laughs> there, I don't hear this very often, but I heard it a little while ago that was a real fun fire starter. Uh, bon Jovi, Young Guns theme song. Oh, Ooh. I was just thinking about Young Guns. Sure. And speaking of fire starter, our friend Dan, who got oh. married this weekend, that was the, the song was Prodigy Firestarter that played when they were, the bride and groom were revealed at the reception. Yeah, first dance, Firestarter. That's pretty great. Oh, God. Wait, so what is your karaoke song? Uh, I don't really sing karaoke, karaoke that much, but it's usually uh, Solitary Man. Hmm. Well, I've done a couple times. Uh, who is that? Neil uh, Diamond? Neil Diamond? Yeah, yeah, Neil Diamond. That's a good one. Because uh, I'm not a very do... good singer, so it's like a it's like a a song that you can kind of talk through, and then you can kind of like slowly croon it up a little bit, you know. I've seen him do um, "Don't Stop Believing." Oh, yeah. that's a great one. I mean, anything by Journey, but also like that one's a little Yoki One Hundred One. Sure. I don't think you should sound good when you're singing karaoke. It's not American Idol. I Fair. Think, I think you should. You don't. You don't have to. You don't have to nail it. But if you if you sound like shit, I, that's one of my biggest pet peeves. Is if you're if you are a horrible karaokeer, or if you choose a rap song, and you don't know the wor- words by heart, you it never works out because like it's going really fast, and then you just like that's fair. Whenever that happens, I just want to unplug the karaoke machine. It's for some reason it makes me so uncomfortable. It's a food podcast. We don't do karaoke in Nashville if that's how you feel. The thong song, don't do it. Oh, don't. <laughs> Don't do well, it. Well, I said songs that you don't know by heart. Yeah. And that one obviously is mm-hmm. <laughs> locked in up, up top. So is the when is the book for sale or is it already available? So you can pre order it okay. uh, right now, but it comes out October twenty fourth. It's on ten speed press. And yeah, I mean we have chefs literally from all over the world. We have people from Japan, Denmark, the UK, Mexico, Canada. So this this cookbook is it's it's like a nice compilation album where you just ooh, all the all the all recipe, the hits. You just have other people do all the work for you. <laughs> you put it all together, put the Munchie's name on it. We're Not laughing quite. all the way to the bank. <laughs> Ten speed, you know, print media is just killing it so much lately. You're gonna get fucking rich. <laughs> Ten speed is the cool cookbook press, right? I mean, like everything cool. They did. They did they do the squirrel one? Mm-hmm. I think they did Koreatown. They did. Um, there's a bunch. They do. They're they're really amazing because they allow us to be so creative. And I think we're such a weird crew of I call it like the scrappy ones who are sort of like the dumpster divers of their their publications. Right. Where they come sure. in and they're like, should we have let them write a cookbook? I don't know. <laughs> um, but they let us do that. And I think you know this cookbook is a. Do you guys keep stealing the toilet paper in the bathroom <laughs> when you come in for meetings. Like, do you live somewhere? Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, they allowed us, I think a great example, we have a recipe from Daniel Patterson in the cookbook, and it's actually the only recipe that has vegetables in it. That's amazing. (laughs) Because all these, these are literally the meals that they, at the end of every episode, they go back to their restaurant and they cook. 
And for anyone who hasn't seen the show, you should go check it out and watch the Lewis Tikram episode, which you were featured on. And I want to talk about the sticky rice incident in one moment, but I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> but you know, rather than just, I think glorifying these chefs because these are literally like the greatest chefs mm-hmm. in the world. You have, uh, you know, everyone from Christina Tosi to. Um, Wiley Dufresne, Wiley Dufresne, Mission Anthony Bourdain, Danny Bowen, uh, Dominique Crenn, David Chang, uh, David Chang uh, April Bloomfeld, it goes on and on and on. Mm-hmm. We tried to capture their personalities or like the moments that our audience responded to. So, in the case of Daniel Patterson, he decided on his episode. Because we basically say to people, like, hey, where do you want to go for the night? And we pay for it. So he took right. his wife out on a really nice date for the whole episode. And I think what's so funny about our audience is that not only do we have a food audience, but we also have a vice audience, people who don't necessarily know who the key players are in food. So if we, we went through the all comment the... comment section of the Patterson one <laughs> must be a real funny one. <laughs> well, we actually put excerpts from the comments into it. Oh, good. To sort of talk about like... Because usually like the know. point of the show... Like, I've seen many episodes and it's usually like every time you try to kind of outdo everyone else, like we're, we party the most, we're going to have the craziest night, we're going to make the best food, we're going to eat the wildest, gluttonous things and you try to outdo each other and then Patterson comes around and takes his wife out for a nice date and then like... Yeah, sometimes the thing missing is like Johnny Knoxville. Huckleberry <laughs> arugula for my my late night munchie. But it's a really good recipe. I mean, it it tastes what so is, delicious. It's a kind of essentially like a vegetable stir fry with bulgur, and you can put mm. a um, oh, I saw that actually sunny side good. up egg on it. It's great for breakfast um, or lunch. But when I come um, home from the club, I'm like, oh, I want some fucking bulgur so bad. <laughs> yeah, definitely <laughs> late night food. Just, didn't he do the recipe of the boiled scrambled eggs too? I think it was on. Like he, they just it was on like Chef's Table or Mind of a Chef, but they I think it was just recently in like the New York Times magazine like last Sunday of like his recipe for boiled scrambled eggs, and it, which is I don't think anybody wants to eat, but it's like that's it's, not it's in inter- book. like you you like get a like a pot of boiling water. And you stir it like a whirlpool effect, and then you pour the scrambled eggs into it, and then it floats on top, and and slowly, not, not even slowly, like quickly, just turns into just scrambled eggs, and then you pull it off, and then garnish it with whatever you want. Seems interesting. I want. It seems like something I'd like to try. I don't know if it's. It gonna... sounds like something I want to watch you make, <laughs> and then not try it. Well, I mean, we do have some egg recipes in this book, sure. but I think my one of my favorite recipes is from Jamie Bissonette from Toro. And he, you know, for anyone who hasn't been to Toro, it's Spanish inspired. And the recipe is really simple and it's basically it starts with for a bad hangover and then there's another section that's like for a really bad hangover. <laughs> and what you do is get a bag of your favorite potato chips and you oh, get scrambled eggs. And it's genius because it's essentially a play on like a Frito Spanish pie. tortilla. Sure. Spanish tortilla and a yeah. Frito pie. Tortilla or, espanol. Yeah, you could oh, shit, I didn't even think about the Spanish tortilla. <laughs> yeah, you just get like a bag of lays. Cut it open like a Frito pie thingy, and you just dump scrambled eggs and hot sauce. I yeah. guess. Yeah, and you like mix it together, 
And have you eaten this before? Yeah, it's so delicious. It's really good. This is incredible. Yeah, a tortilla espanol is like you do the onions and the potatoes, and you're basically making delicious. Kind of a, yeah, it's great. But um, what's better than potatoes? Potato that is chips. some Spanish hood food right there. <laughs> Just it's getting the so good the from the slums chips. of Barcelona. Yeah, seriously, that's so cool. <laughs> I love it. But I think that's the thing. It's like all these recipes are more storytelling of who these people are. It's not about like right. fancy things. Mm-hmm. Like Dominique Crenn literally was like, my favorite comfort food is grilled cheese. And so she kind of took it to the next level and went to her cheesemonger. And right. so her recipe is all about like how you actually should talk to a cheesemonger and like what the cheeses are that you should It had better be. Put in that Because you can't just have a recipe on how to make grilled cheese. Maybe you can. We if need more Dominique than that Crenn. nowadays. Everybody knows how to make a damn grilled cheese, but not with but but fancy she's got cheeses. But she, yeah, yeah. So it's like the rule, the way to have the best grilled cheese is just like be really rich and then buy like really expensive cheese <laughs> and like really expensive bread and really expensive butter and it's going to be so good. I'm trying to think of how many cultural recipes there are for like bags of chips, like Frito pie, Toasty Locos. <laughs> now there's this new Spanish one being introduced. And one also, of the ones I don't know about. But the scrambled eggs with the, with the potato chips, that's, that also reminds me of like the matzo brie, where mm-hmm. you like chop up the matzo crackers and mix it with the scrambled eggs. Right. So mm-hmm. this has been going on. It's a beautiful marriage. It's been going on for a while now, and now I instantly want to have scrambled eggs with chips, because also in the, on the, in the cookbook it was just a bag of Lay's, the lowest common denominator potato chip, but there's so many good ass chips out there. Yeah, I mean, I that's know what the you're thing. thinking of. You're thinking Rusty's. I'm thinking Rusty's, but also like, what if what if like a salt and vinegar potato chip? Sure. What's that going to do to your mouth? Yeah. What are those? The Hava chips. Have a corn yeah, chip. Have a yeah, corn chip. That would be delightful. Oh. I mean, do do you? But that's a tortilla. You know? That changes everything. Hey, a corn chip is if, a lot different than a tater. If you want to do it with Doritos, we're not going to be mad about it. It's, have it's you, your world. You may have eaten Doritos last night. God damn it. In addition to my nachos. <laughs> yeah, double up on those corn chips. Have you had, visiting from New York, have you had Rusty's either potato chips or corn chips? I think so. They're similar to the Hava corn they're chips. They're very yeah. similar to Hava chips, but they're made, what, in Long Beach or? They're made in Southern California. Yeah, they're Beach? in Huntington Beach, man. Huntington Beach. Um, but they're, I don't think they have, they make potato chips, but they look just like they have a corn chips, like a clear yeah. bag, like kind of like surfer, like a surfboard on surfer it? ass. Yes. Yeah, I've had those. But I think those potato yeah. chips might be, those are both our kind of our favorites of all time. Delightful. I just don't know how yeah. far they're getting out. I'm sure. I mean, we're getting there. They're, they're blowing up, but I don't know if it made that other coach. Shout I saw, out to those guys. Shout out to fucking Rusty's. Yeah. Um, there's a recipe in there for, in the book for a bologna and raclette sandwich. Yes. I feel, I've, I feel like bologna is kind of it's trending right now. Do you agree? <laughs> so have you ever? <laughs> it, 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 no, I mean like bologna obviously has existed for forever, but it, it, was, it was always like I never grew up eating bologna. Like you would see it on TV and like we're going to have a bologna right. sandwich or like Every once in a while, I'd go to a friend's house and like the, their mom would make a bologna sandwich. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, that's just not what I was expecting. I'm from LA. I eat damn turkey <laughs> sandwiches, boy. But well, like, but but I've seen like the Bon Appetit like best restaurant list. Like one spot does like their own house made bologna sandwich with like potato chips on it, and then this. This book has a bologna, like artisanal, yeah, house cured bolognese. I feel like are like emerging as a as a trending cured meat vertical. What say you? <laughs> uh. So, have you been to Nashville? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 
you then you know, or I hope you've had a fried bologna sandwich because that's like their mm-hmm. classic mm-hmm. thing. So Catbird Seat, um, which is in Nashville, Eric Anderson, who used to be the chef de cuisine there, um, basically drank more Fernet than anyone has ever consumed yes. on Chef's Night Out to the point where the next day, it was a rough uh, taping the next day when he d- did his interview and he was just like, I feel very ill. But he made this um, smoked bologna sandwich, and it was sort of a, a tribute to that sandwich, right. to the Nashville version. So mm-hmm. um, he actually literally got a normal <laughs> log, if you will, of bologna and smoked it. <laughs> so, so he bought the whole bologna log. Yeah. Why mess with a beautiful, perfect thing? And the key to it was that he put it in a barbecue smoker, mm-hmm. and then he used raclette to make like a really delicious cheese sauce. Mm-hmm. So, and then and, and cut it thick. Cut it real thick. So it's like a bologna steak and yeah. not like a thin flap. Yeah, it's going to get fried. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. You could fry it or you could leave it as is. And that's kind of the thing with all the recipes, too. It's like you can take it and do whatever It's already you want. fat, but you can make it fattier <laughs> <laughs> depending yeah, on how drunk you so are. it's so delicious. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, mark my words, bologna is going to be very, for the rest <laughs> of the year, it's, it's, I feel it happening. But don't you think, to a degree, I feel like, Oscar Mayer has done a disservice to bologna. Like, it's just mortadella, just made with less, um, I mean, or to an extent. Yeah, I don't even know. What makes slight, bologna bologna, you know? I mean, I don't know. I just I feel like there's a history of those kind of mixed You've made meats. bologna from scratch, right? How, yeah, how do you do every it? Every day. I do it every day before I so go to work. Like you do your daily That's bologna. how I start my day. Skip I wake breakfast. up at 6, I do a hike, and then... I like to make bologna. I make my bologna um, for the day. Yeah. No, I mean, I think meat in a tube in general is great. Like, yes. the, the bad stuff, <laughs> the good stuff, Agreed. it's all great. You know what I mean? It's great. I know, I know what you mean. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Um, you also, the opposite of bologna sandwich, there's the caviar and butter sandwich. Yeah. Which... Mwell's Steakhouse. Yeah. That one's fucked up, man. Yeah. But it reminds me of the um, the Grand Central Oyster... Caviar and creme fraiche sandwich, and yes. I feel like I'd like to do a head because this the sandwich in the in the book where it's basically like get two pieces of bread and then get like really really good cultured butter and then have like a quarter inch thick layer of butter mm-hmm. across all surfaces of the bread and then you just dump a bunch of caviar on it and eat it, mm-hmm. which With sounds a spatula which sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, but then like but the Grand Central one has creme fraiche instead of the butter and I feel like I'm, I'd be very curious to see like a head-to-head test what would be better yeah. what, what say you well interesting connection so Oog Dufour from M. Wells uh, on his episode they what, actually what, wait say that name again so the chef Oog who is French Canadian um, he and his wife Sarah <laughs> wait went, he's married with yeah. that name yeah oh boy anything's possible <laughs> They went to Grand Central Oyster Bar on their episode and actually had like an oyster feast. And then they went back to M. Wells Dinette at the time. Interesting. So they built this beautiful caviar sort of ice display. So they got this gigantic ice block and <sighs> so they, cool. just a super chill caviar. Something you can do at home. Hashtag chill. That's what this book is, is chill. <laughs> yeah. But they basically had this over the top, very French Canadian in a way, because I feel like that's the thing about French Canadians like yeah, having like the lived... Joe Beef guys really go real over the top with that stuff. Oh yeah. man, how are they? Any of those guys alive? You know, 
Well, they're they're the New Orleanians of the North. Like they know how to live well. You know, oh. it's very rich, um, beautiful food. But um, that recipe is great, I think, because yeah, it's just so simple. But the way that it's written, it's it's Oog writing about it, and it's pretty mm-hmm. funny. Um, and caviar is the best, you know. If you got access to it, go eat Seriously. some. Seriously, I mean, I like, or don't. I like if you've got <laughs> access to it. If you have access to a Lamborghini, do drive that car. It's a great one. I mean, I used to be a truffle dealer, and I sold caviar for years. And really, I just you ever get high on your own supply of caviar? Yeah, yeah ever, absolutely. Ever, ever pinch a little cav on the way Definitely. to your drop off? Yeah. <laughs> yeah any, of those, uh, any of those guys go missing? Those truffles, yeah. like ooh, you had that little mm-hmm. that little mm-hmm. ivory caviar coke spoon. I mean, package a little light this week. <laughs> <laughs> a little light, the tin's a little light today. You know something about that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. I took it and I ate it. Yeah, no, we actually did eat truffles when they were broken. Um, That's awesome. You get the factory defects. Yeah. What do you do? What what what's your ideal truffle scenario? Well, it depends on what kind of truffle you're talking about. I really like white truffles. Baller answer. <laughs> That's my fave. And yeah. uh, I like to eat them in a couple different ways. The What's that tr- white truffle is going for, like 400 an ounce? What is it? So every year, I think people hear truffles and they're like, oh, it's so expensive and it's a complete bullshit industry, but... The reason it's so expensive is because you can't replicate it. So like black truffles, you can actually go to a truffier, which is a farm, and you can try to inoculate them and recreate them. Mm-hmm. And they've had some success there. But with white truffles, you really can't. And um, They have to be foraged naturally. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of one of the last wild foods um, that's super unique. Mm-hmm. And... I think it's really great, really simply. Like, if you put it in chicken broth, I think that's the best way to experience it because it brings out all the aroma. Mm-hmm. Uh, or... No, it's exciting. <laughs> so, look at my face is exciting. So, you <laughs> just get a chicken broth, you put a little white truffle in there, and it steeps and flavors the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, you would have like a tortellini and brodo or something along those, along those lines. But um, I've really been thinking a lot about tortellini and brodo lately, actually. In this weather. I've just I really want to try and make it because I feel like when it's done correctly it like when it's done perfectly I don't I, I don't know if there's a better thing to eat. I agree a thousand percent. Like holy it's like insane and it's just like a bowl with like chicken broth and tortellini with some like ricotta and a little parmesan or something like that like it's so simple but when it's when it's nailed perfectly it's it's so crazy but yeah. And it doesn't seem like it's that hard to do, but it obviously is. Sure. I want to try. Have you ever ever made it before? No, I've tried making pasta. I'm really bad at it. Um, so I. It's fucking hard. I leave it to the pros, but um, yeah. Speaking of leave it to the pros, you have a section in your hardcore section uh-huh. of your cookbook, which I assume means like the difficulty level has been increased and like the gluttonous. Aspects have been increased. It's, I mean, it's more just that Chris Grosso, our one of our executive producers, we were talking about it, and he's like, "It's just that time in the night on the show, Chef's Night Out, when everyone is basically blasé, drunk, or getting there." I have no idea what you're talking about. And um, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you're about to get into some hardcore stuff. You want stuff. poutine? You want pizza? You want kind of that dirty, yes. delicious. Well, speaking food. of leave it, leave 
leaving pasta to the pros, you have a, a, a pizza making tutorial in the hardcore section. Yeah. Which I feel like is one of the biggest leave it to the pro foods out there. Unless you have, like we've cooked with the, the rock box pizza. Have you, oh, have, cool. you have you seen that? It's I like, have. It's like the at-home pizza oven. It gets to 900 degrees. That way you can actually make pizza that's worth eating at kind home. Kind of impressive. But, but I feel like making pizza at home, it's very hard to have it be yeah. Yeah. Pa- even passable. Mm-hmm. Like it's always fucked up. <laughs> You're limited by equipment. It's one of those cuisines that you are 100% limited by the tools that you have yeah. in mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, but you know, there's ways to adapt that, and that's why and that's we That's what included, I want to know. Yeah, I mean, sheet pans, cast iron skillets, like, mm-hmm. you know, there's different styles, but um, I think that's the thing. Like, when we combed through every single recipe from the show that's ever been made, there were kind of two big categories. It was like meat. And the subsection of that was like offal, essentially. Mm-hmm. It was like every animal part Off ever. Cut. A lot of tongue in this book, I will say. Nah. A little tripe, a little tongue. There's, eh, there's like three things. There's beef heart, tripe, and tongue. Um, but yeah, we, we really we tailored it down. But mm-hmm. it was that, and then it was pizza. It was like pizza or tacos. And I think, mm-hmm. you know... Mm-hmm. The pizza recipes, they're all from different chefs and they're their styles of how they like to do it. But ultimately, you can take the base dough, which is from Frank Pinello, a best pizza, and you can riff on it how you want. So mm-hmm. I think that's the thing. It's like everything is manageable in a way that you can like make it your own as opposed to being like, well, this is the way that Polly G does it and I have to do it exactly that way. Right. It's like, well, this is the way he tops his pizza. So... Yeah, there's just too many people, and we didn't want to like leave people out. It was so hard to figure sure. out who to put in and why. But yeah, so we got a lot of pizza. It's also, I mean, it's kind of like a, a blank canvas, right? It reflects personalities in ways that tacos do too. But I mean, I think pizza really, to an pizza extent, really gives tells people a lot about somebody when they, yeah. Make, yeah, whenever you go to somebody's house and they're doing like we're having a pizza making party. And you see somebody make like the dumb, like the worst, <laughs> shittiest pizza, and you're like, "Oh my god, I, I can never even look at you the same way." Like, what? You have no restraint at all. For the audience, that's Jason talking. Yeah, I was going to say, Jesus, this, are you talking about yourself or? <laughs> We've all seen it. Oh, you've vicious. Seen, you've seen somebody making pizza vicious. at the pizza party, and like, wow, that's how much sauce you're going to use? Wow, okay. Uh, you've never seen, never seen anything before on any. <laughs> <laughs> and then just like wow, that's a lot of squash blossoms. Fine. I mean, you're obviously going to have a just you know it comes down r- to basically pizza. Jason's just happy to be there. You know, that's really what it is. Is he's just happy to be there? All, everybody's welcome. No bad ideas. But like, I think is like what he's saying. And at a pizza making party, there's also there's like a slight air of competition going around. Like who's going to make the best there's one? There's a slight air of competition to any room you walk in personally for yourself. He's a very competitive little guy. That is true. <laughs> I am very competitive. I'm very so little. Like, you know, there's a slight air. Everybody has like, got kids and they're hanging out and laughing. And Jason's like, all right, bitches, I see this. You call that a... <laughs> wow. Okay. Wow. How old's your kid? Uh, so, but but you, want, you want somebody to be in the room to have, like a, you know, have a little concept of what's going on when it, when it comes to pizza making. You don't want the competition to be just completely trash, you know? Sure. You want, you want a healthy yeah. head-to-head. You you like that? That's why I hang out with Andre because he's he's he gives me a, a you know he he knows what he's doing. It's like when you play tennis with, against somebody who sucks at tennis, it's no fun. He's only yeah. played tennis with me once. 
Exactly. How did it go? Not I good? did not get invited back. Oh. It's not good enough. But he's good enough in the kitchen. All right, baby. <laughs> I'll take it. The tennis court of life. That's right. <laughs> um, you also have a, a carbonara recipe. Yes. Which is a very hot topic in terms of mm. authenticity. And mm-hmm. it's called a late night carbonara. Mm-hmm. And I assume, does the late night mean it's okay to add cream? Well, yeah. I mean, it's from Michael White. And I think it's, it is for that. Can you explain who Michael White is to our <laughs> listeners who don't know? <laughs> so Chef Michael White is an amazing chef based in New York. He owns a bunch of restaurants. Uh, you might know him from Marea, mm-hmm. um, which is an amazing uh, seafood and pasta restaurant. And... I mean, he's so mad. He's a guy from Wisconsin, and he's become this masterful kind of pasta genius. Is that why it's okay for him to put cream in a carbonara? Because he's from Wisconsin? I mean, look, again, it's late at night. You want that carbonara. You want it to taste good. Why? Because Jason over here is going to watch the hills late at night alone. That's right. With a bowl of this carbonara. And he doesn't want anyone to see him. There's eating the carbonara with cream in it or Lauren Conrad on the screen, but it doesn't matter. More of a because, Whitney fan, personally. Okay, well, Whitney and you have that secret together, and the secret is that it's a delicious recipe, and it was really easy to make. This is why you get the big bucks on, i got to say. That was the, that was the, <laughs> answer. the most fire answer. That was the, answer that was the exact answer I was looking for. We did an episode of this podcast once with a friend, Dave Chang, who basically... Dave like, Cho. Dave Cho. Um... And I think we talked for 45 minutes about carbonara, which is why. Yep. Yeah. He, yeah, he's a friend of mine who Sorry, has a very strong opinion about, and a lot of people do, like a lot of yeah. people consider carbonara with cream to be one of the most sacrilegious things of all time. It's just a dish. I'm with, I, don't really I, I couldn't be more way. with you on it. It's just a dish. But if you want, like it's like defining something or just, uh, yeah. I mean, way. look, Mitch Orr, who's an Australian chef, wrote an op-ed for us that was this inflammatory, like, stop putting cream in your carbonara. Mm-hmm. It was a huge viral hit, and it was sort of exactly what we're talking about. But ultimately, with food, it's like no one owns food, okay. you know? And I think that's the thing. It's like, if you want to put some cream up in there, do, mm-hmm. do you, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it's not going to taste I'm not going to stop you. Yeah. <clears throat> or it might, and you can secretly judge... Everyone in the room, Jason, because you probably will. But you, you know, will. it's like whatever. But now, it like, good. all I want to do tonight is watch the hills with a bowl of carbonara, <laughs> just Indian style, on the floor in the middle of my living room. That sounds very good, right? That I'm here to make. You're painting a picture. Your your dreams come true at night with <laughs> recipes. I, I I can picture this so vividly. Him just happening at and him night doing it. with recipes through this cookbook. Yeah. Uh, you you also uh, one thing that was really really interesting to me was the fried chicken fried rice mm-hmm. because Andre he's on a big fried rice kick in the last couple of months he's got a he's got a nice wok ring on his stove oh nice so he has the ability to actually like make a a decent fried rice at home in a proper mm-hmm. wok but I've I've never seen fried rice with fried chicken as the protein. It's a genius idea. And it seems like a great idea. Yeah. Well, it's also good because like, if you have leftovers, it's like you could make the fried chicken from uh, Charlie Bird, which is also in the book. Mm-hmm. And that recipe is super dank. It's a fennel-dusted fried chicken. Yes. With crushed red pepper flakes. I know, you can laugh. 
I'm not laughing. I'm saying this one yes. over here that with the eye rolls. Dense. No, I'm from Orange County. When I hear the word <laughs> "super dank" to describe a fennel encrusted fried chicken, you're hitting all of my marks. We we say dank a lot. You couldn't have been speaking my language anymore. I was just a little flabbergasted to hear it. The fennel pollen. I know. I get it. Hundred percent dank titty. You know, no, it's not it's the like... it's not the fennel. It's the dink. But like Kispaka, one of our favorite restaurants, they have the fennel pollen dusted pork chop. That's fucking yes. crazy. It's incredible. Yeah, I mean fennel pollen. Does your Jill, if you're listening, if you want to go to Kispaka this weekend, just talk to me. <laughs> we went. We can go again. I just want to go we as took much her. as possible. Side, that's a side <laughs> tangent. Um, yeah, so this is one thing I'm definitely going to make because I love making fried rice, but I, I never make fried chicken at home just because I don't want my kitchen to get all splattered with the oil. Well, it also makes sense considering that you made a rice stick on an episode of Chef's Night Out. Just a big old rice stick. I crafted mm-hmm. a rice stick. Yeah, it was it was very sculpted, sculptural. I mean, it, w- it was. They opened up with it, right? I'm glad it did not hit the the editing room floor. It was a tone setter. So if you haven't, if no one knows what we're talking about, um, Jason here was on a Chef's Night Out episode with Louis Tikram, and that's actually the video opener. Is you creating? I just stopped being hungover from that episode yeah. yesterday. That makes sense. It takes about two years to sort of get it out of your system. So I just uh, I just ate at at EPLP two days ago with good old Lewis. Yeah, did you uh, recreate that sculpture? No, or? there was no? no there was. I ate some rice, but it wasn't sticky. But I've never like <laughs> I've never used sticky rice as like a an art medium, and it really works well. Like it holds its shape <laughs> a lot better than I thought, and I be and you're able to achieve details that you wouldn't imagine before it's a vessel for innovation jason becomes a prankster with a little booze in the restaurant starts kind of like trying to dunk things in other people's bowls starts getting <laughs> sassy with people working there he gets uh he can, act out. he can get on a roll wait so tell us about your experience having been on the show as someone who literally went through the experience what was it like for you why well, I've talked about it on the, on the show before, but I mean, it it was, it's just it's like my ideal like dream scenario. Like all I want to do is go to a restaurant where everything is free and the people that work there are like very eager to give you the best things that they have to offer. Like oh here's the, this like when we went to Alimento, we had this magnum of wine that I thought was so good. But it would have never come out if they didn't want to like impress us for the camera. So that's like an amazing thing. And they, now they have it at at Cosa Buona. And whenever I go in there, I'm like, that's the one. That's the one. Do you like their mozzarella sticks? Of course. Yeah. It was, it was so good. We do uh, at the end of this. We're gonna do a favorite thing we ate this week. And I think our last episode that was your favorite thing that you ate. Mm-hmm. It's a Costa Buona Mozzi stick. I forgot to prepare the best thing that I ate all week. I'll right, just go through your Instagram episode. while I'm doing mine. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to tell you that we also do that. But I actually wanted to do like a separate, like a side tangent on the best thing that we ate. Okay. But it was inspired by um, by some a, a listener who was talking to me about it. And we were talking about instead of the, the best thing that we ate all week, maybe to describe our ideal perfect bite of something Hmm. which is a really tough you know you might need months to prepare that sure i'm like well for me it was um a salted almond with 
watered-down Starbucks coffee on my flight this morning. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> now we're talking. The way those Luxury. two play off of each other in your on your palate, mm-hmm. on and off your palate. Mm-hmm. Almonds are big this year. So is watered-down Starbucks <laughs> okay, coffee. thank you, because I was thinking <laughs> the, the next same food thing. Trend. Yeah. So, you know, just put that in the back of your mind. There's a couple, but the, um, the thing that looked the most appetizing to me in the cookbook was the, the fernet gingerbread like the little mini, like it looked like a dark wheat thin with the foie gras yeah. torchon yep. on top of it. That, I feel like that is probably going to be my, my favorite bite out of that book. It's pretty extraordinary. Unless it tastes like shit. What do you think? No, no, no. It's, it's actually it's one of the coolest recipes. So Maya Erickson, who um, used to be at uh, Lazy Bear in San Francisco, she now I think is in Portland, but um, she sort of combined savory and sweet. So mm-hmm. it's a foie gras torchon with a fernet gingerbread. What and exactly when, is a torchon? Well, it is I don't know. A essentially like a whipped foie. Mm-hmm. Um, and you serve it cold over this gingerbread. And when In the eighties they called it a moose. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, not, not Just kidding. But when you put like the, the flavors of this specific recipe are pretty crazy because it's sort of one of those things where you take a first bite and you're like, what is going on? And then you keep eating it because mm-hmm. you're trying to figure it out. And I don't know, it works really well. I love that. And Fun. I think, yeah, it's, it's also like, again, the bloodline of this book is Fernet in a lot of ways. And I think that's what's super cool is sort of how um, it's true of who these people are as well. Like, San Francisco especially is like Fernet capital of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, they drink more Fernet than anywhere else. And yeah, I don't know. It's a nice way to like end the book too. Italy's like, we'll keep making it, I guess, but Jesus, guys, <laughs> really? You know, yeah. we invented yeah, why it did here. It become such a chef's drink. I don't know. When I was bartending in college, I mean, I grew up like I would get a little bit of Fernet with water if I had an upset stomach as a kid, but I came mm-hmm. from a big Italian family and Fernet was always in it. Bravo. And then. You know, I go to college and everybody's drinking like Jaeger, tequila, whatever. And then I started bartending and waiting. And then I was like, oh, other people drink it than Italians. Everybody who works in this restaurant and all the bartenders, like, they don't, they have shots of Fernet with beers, not shots of whiskey, or they just drink Fernet with soda water while they're like, it's just like it was everywhere. Mm -hmm. It also just like, it's such a weird drink. I feel like when you first drink it, you're like, this is disgusting. And it tastes like something that you stole from your, Grandparents' liquor sure. cabinet. Is it safe to call it the Vegemite yeah. of the bar? <laughs> Maybe. It's a very, yeah, it's a very polarizing flavor, isn't My it? Dad's gonna have something to say to you, buddy. <laughs> next time you guys go out. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't like once you have two or three glasses of it. It's really, I don't know. It makes you feel good. It, it does make you feel, feel good. like you can stay up all night. You it's, can. There's a buzz. Your stomach. You know, are you we can still digest. Talking about, are we still talking about that? <laughs> I think, when, but also it people makes me feel like I want to dance. People talk about different kinds of. We should open a bar together. All of, but all our friends will come. Um, it's gonna be, it's gonna be but yeah, people talk about different kind of like buzzes from alcohol, and I think there's degrees of it. But I think Fernet's the one where it's like this is different than the others. And a lot of, I think you know, like Jägermeister, I guess you kind of put in herbals, but Fernet to me also is. Well, I can I can drink Fernet all night and feel okay-ish. Yeah. But if I drink like one Jaeger shot, I sure. feel like I want to 
fling my body They're off different. a cliff. I've been saying like when you go in, when you go into the herbals, it's like that's where things kind of change. For the Fernet sure. is like the double double, and Jägermeister is like a, like a Burger King Whopper. Can I ask? Are you referring to like a Tim Hortons double double or Ugh. a? <laughs> What, what kind of double-double double are you talking about? We're not, we're not talking about Timmy's over here, babe. In and out. <laughs> in and out only. In and oh, out. Okay, I'm, I'm a Whataburger person, so I don't, I don't know about that. Wait, what's a Tim Hortons double-double? <laughs> so, it, like, did you know what Tim Hortons is? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so. We go time get a, in Canada. We get a cup of joe and a cruller in Saskatoon. <laughs> yeah, literally. Uh, I actually had my first double-double a couple months ago. Maddie Matheson, who is... Essentially, the mayor of Toronto. Mm-hmm. When I was in town, was like, "Have you ever heard of Drake?" <laughs> Just kidding. Damn he it. was like, "You've never had a double double," and I was like, "No." And he was like, "All right, I know what we're doing right now." And he drove me to a Tim Hortons. We got double doubles and Boston cream donuts. Mm-hmm. Double double is, I think, uh, it's a coffee, but mm-hmm. it has two sugars, two creams. Mm. It is the sweetest thing that you will ever drink and makes you feel like you're going to be sick. But it, there's something about it that you're like, I'm going to keep drinking it. Where's the plus plus side to this? I don't know. I, I could see it being a thing. So it's I like get, when you, it's I, like I, a I get what you're saying. Sure. It's like yeah, when you yeah, go yeah. to Dunkin's and you order a light and sweet. Yeah. It's like the yeah, same kind of thing. Yeah. You yeah. get a parliament, you smoke it outside. It's, oh, it's with the a same nice experience. parliament? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we really are in Toronto. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. Toronto. Oh, yeah. Taking me back. Well, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I drink my coffee black on the weekend. I'll do a little cream and sugar in it if I'm feeling really? real naughty. But yeah, I, I'm not. That that does not interest me at all. Especially like a a, a like a, a corporate chain restaurants cream and sugar and coffee. I think what's interesting though is like it's funny because yeah, obviously out here in and out is like. A double double, or what is it? Animal style, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. You've had um, it before, right? Yeah, yeah I've had, okay. I've had In and Out. You like it's just it? Yeah, it's good. But it's, you're like Whataburger. Yeah. Well, yeah, I grew I'm up on that. Like it. that's right. Also, Whataburger you know. is good. Whataburger it's not, is good. It's not McDonald's. Yeah. It's like no, it's, Whataburger's good. It's a sense of local pride, even though it's not because it's a chain, you know. Sure. And I think mm-hmm. that's the same with it's my Del Tim Taco. Hortons. Yeah, yeah. You get it. I sure do. We should go to Del Taco while you're in town. Yeah. Have you been to a Del Taco? I don't think so. Will I get food poisoning? No, 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 no. Maybe. No, no, no. no. Um, well, before we get to the best thing we had all week, well, do you have any? I have, I have one. I had one last question. Well, I was going to say, I would, you know, the recipes are great, and I think you can, people will see them and really appreciate, like, the curation of all of it. And I think that, to me, was also really impressive. But, I mean, you're pulling from so many incredible chefs. But reading Vitaly's intro to it was like this really sweet wistful kind of like oh to be young because i mm. think like he talks about that's why is the best man he is he's, he's incredible but he he wrote it so well that you kind of like you're set up to hang out with the cool kids which is what the book is and that's what mm. vice is and that's what munchies is i mean it's like a brand that is very it's very cool um, I feel like Batali should maybe like he should like start writing his own cookbooks because he's such a good writer. <laughs> he should or open a restaurant. I mean, I don't know. Oh, that'd be sick too. Yeah. yeah, these are great ideas. <laughs> but the way he talks, he I think the line was something about oh to think about to not think about like third quarter earnings and just think about like what you're making that night kind of thing it was just like oh wow 
you 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 are so huge and such a force that you know may, he's missing kind of like that that touch and that like useful kind of mm-hmm. excitement and energy and while also being around them and being a part of it not saying that he's completely distanced from it but just like obviously that's what he's recognizing that this book is and that kind of like that energy he also kind of i think it was funny he sort of called out everyone in the book in a way in a really sweet way which is like sort of if you look at the recipes they look simple you know but then there's one thing that's very chefy. There's caviar. There's you know, mm-hmm. fennel pollen. There's these little touches, or it might actually be a really smart technique that's chefy for something that's really simple. Right. And you know, he kind of says like, all these chefs want you to think that they spent no time making this, but like these recipes are the most important things for them because it's kind of like family meal. Like if you mess up family meal. I think that's a big deal, you know. Um, it is. It sets the tone for the whole night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like well, when it's a yeah, hundred percent. Because that's the actual cooking from who you are, as opposed to the right. restaurant that you walk into every night. And you know, he's never been on the show, so it's kind of funny. And he's just like, well, if I was on the show, this is what I would make. But also the joy of these recipes is like, you want a bite of this, you want a bite of that, you want to like hang out and have a good time and sort of talk to like the people that you work with because all these chefs do working in a kitchen's really hard. Um I don't know if you guys ever have, but I have and it's very difficult and it's the type of thing where I'm too tall for it, so I have that. <laughs> I'm too short. So we're, we would be a great pair. Uh but you know, I think it's like you spend so much time with these people and it is sort of whether you like them or not, like they are family. Mm-hmm. Um and so when you go out at the end of the night, because your adrenaline is still racing from sure. cooking all night, you have to eat something. And so I think that, in a way, this cookbook is sort of like a Bourdain book because it's telling, speaking to the industry from the industry, um, or at least that's what we hope it is. So that's what I, that's the vibe I was getting. Absolutely, I can't wait to read it. <laughs> I, I mean, I have I have like the PDF file. If you want, if you want it, I'll just <laughs> give me an email and I'll send it to you. But I mean, it's, I it's hosted I on the Stew the, Podcast for download. I'll put it up on like. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I look forward to, ha- to to having the tangible copy with me. Maybe I'll give it as a gift to somebody yeah. because I won't use it. You know. Uh, you better use it. But we also have. I just want to say a shout out to Justin Hager, our illustrator. And Braden Olson, our photographer, because um, they really made this book look amazing. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest challenge was trying to create sort of photos that were evocative of the individual and their uh, episode, which mm-hmm. was really hard because there's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And then the illustration really is to think of a cookbook with so many people, <laughs> it's incredible. It's crazy. Yeah. So that was a challenge, but then also like the illustrations themselves are really funny. Um, and if you have never seen Justin Hager's work, I definitely recommend go on Instagram. I think it's literally just like Justin Hager. He does a lot of visual puns and like play on words and sounds like my kind of fella. Yeah, yeah for sure. I don't know. So I'm going to go back and scour the PDF for these illustrations. They're pretty great. I'll let you and know what my favorite it's one is. It's a good is. time. Okay, great. 
<laughs> um, all right, now's the time of the show where we talk about the best thing that we ate all week. You can go last because I just told you about this five minutes ago. <laughs> um, for me, I we haven't done this show in a couple weeks because yeah. we've been busy and out of town and stuff like that, and I've eaten so much stuff. But w- the Must last be nice. the last episode, we <laughs> I mean, I've eaten food literally every day since the last episode <laughs> of the show. But the last episode we did was with the guy, uh, the, the guy who does Bub and Grandma's bread which was an episode that a lot of people really loved, but he was nice enough to bring us like oh, it was incredible. so much bread. Like after, the, after we finished the last episode, I spent like 45 minutes plastic wrapping all of the bread and putting it in our respective freezers because there was just too much. You did a great job. So I've been slowly just eating bread every day and like figuring out how to eat it. But like yesterday I had, I was a little hungover, I will be honest, and I, I had a piece of his Perfectly wonderful bread with just butter and Vegemite. I've been trying to work out my correct Vegemite ratios, and I think I've got it down to the point where it's there. I was I was over Vegemiting for a long time, and it was having like a bad aftertaste. It was a, it was an overpowering thing, but once you hit the perfect ratio of of butter to Vegemite, it really it really sings nicely. So what is that? What's like the numerical ratio? Yeah. I would say one to five Vegemite to butter. Mm. Mm. And then I was talking to... Top or bottom? Who's top? Who's bottoming? What's going on? Butter goes down first, like a real pool of it. Like, a, like too much butter. And then like here's a photo. And then the Vegemite goes mm. on top of that. Mm. So you want, to, you, want, you want to see a lot of just... Mm. You want to be able to dunk... Dunk an almond into that butter. There, there should be so much pulled up. But I, I, I never really liked Vegemite that much, and I have a lot of Australian friends, and I'm trying to absorb it. And I'm also trying to like figure out how to make a Vegemite cultured butter where the Vegemite is like culturing it. And I was talking to John from Cato about it, and he gave me a bunch of ideas. Do you guys like... Uh a piece of bread with butter and anchovy, or no? Uh, I don't know if I've he ever will. had that, actually. I have a hard time, depending on the anchovy, I, I can have a hard time with that flavor profile. He's not a beer, he's not a I big... can do fish sauce, but some depending on the, like, if it's, like, the salt-packed, the that one can be strong, but if it's, like, oil-packed? No, you, you yeah, you could do, like, oil, but it, If you it's... get the real... Good quality one. I highly recommend it. It sounds weird, no, but it's no, pretty, no, it doesn't sound. A weird lot of people at all. grew amazing. up eating that as yeah. just their normal food, you know. Yeah. And I've, I'm, I'm always trying to incorporate more oily fish into my diet. <laughs> There's moments where I've had um, that, and I've really liked it or had it on things, but there's. That's one ingredient that would be like. There's moments where I've had to choke down at a table of people, like, oh. Like, if I was by myself, it would just be spit out. And I'd be like, oh, not for me. <laughs> uh, and I've just been, like, smiling, being like, you got it. And it's, like, starting to sweat, trying to get it just to oh. swallow it. And then just, like, having to chase it with whatever's in front of me. That would be, like, that kind of fish profile is the one flavor that can hit me hard compared to anything. That was, like, when I mm-hmm. ate that uh, beef liver carpaccio right, at Raku. You've never described something to me that was that hit you. Have you that been hard. to that place, Raku? No, on La Cienega. I'm familiar. Real chefy ass spot, but they have a uh, beef liver carpaccio, and when you eat it, it tastes tastes great going down. But then as soon as you swallow it, the whole flavor 
flips on its head and it transforms into like the most like livery irony like dirty metallic, just like it's it floors you but it but like it, it you don't you put it in your mouth and you're chewing it and it and it tastes great and as soon as it hits the back of your throat is when it really opens up into just like a real like just a bad vibe i also i'm i'm always, i'm constantly thinking about this because i can kind of do any texture um and i love eating like nice. i don't have a problem with like off cuts i don't have like but the fish thing is like the biggest part of what I have a hard time appreciating or even kind of enjoying. And both my parents don't eat a lot of seafood. Mm. And I feel like, I mean... Because they're mercury truthers. What's I up, just Joe? didn't grow up with it, right? <laughs> like, I think, like, I think, I don't know, you, I wonder how that develops as a kid. Because, like, I've got friends who ate lox and, like, smoked sturgeon as a kid and... I wonder if like that's just they're like I love it. Jewish friends love it. Jewish friends, yeah. But like not really having eaten that, I, I just I wonder because I I usually can eat and enjoy anything, and that's like limiting, and I don't know why. Did you have like a traumatic experience where a babysitter put you in, in the basement or something and made I you eat did. anchovies? <laughs> I don't know. I told I do I I remember I was forced to eat can, a canned tuna fish sandwich when I was a little kid at like a daycare and I wouldn't eat it and the person made me eat it. I didn't want to eat it. Helen knows. How'd you know? You're the f- yeah, you're, but also like, you're an editor-in-chief slash food trauma specialist. But how can that be one experience that shapes like how Show you me on the tuna can where he touched you. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, look, we all have like bad experiences with food. You know, it's it can take one experience to turn you off on something. I mean, for me... I was just talking about this yesterday. With but somebody. you grow out of it. I feel like at a sometimes you. I think that like if there is an experience, it could be one thing. Let's say you have food poisoning, and it's something that seems really harmless. That's it fair. might last with you for a long time. I, I couldn't eat ranch dressing for like four years. That's tragic. Yeah, I know. Um, Same. Yeah, I w- so tragic. It's, <laughs> I, <laughs> because I, I I went to Del Taco and they have this thing called chicken soft taco where they have like this mexican like crema sauce and i was like that was so good and i went home and i was like i'll just make one myself with like a flour tortilla shredded lettuce cheese some like turkey lunch meat instead of grilled chicken and then i'm just going to put ranch dressing instead of this crema and i ate it and instantly vomited and i could not (laughs) have ranch for four years and then i was doing a podcast yesterday with this uh this guy john gabris and we we did a podcast where you you get really stoned and then you talk about a certain subject and we were talking about leftovers and he he's like a comedian and a commercial actor and he did an oreo commercial where he said for an entire day he had to on camera take an oreo pull it apart lick the cream and then like put it back together like whatever like and he said he said he couldn't eat oreos for six years after that day and he's like a big guy who loves eating cookies and he just he could not eat it just because he licked an Oreo all day long. That makes sense. That makes sense. Food yeah. trauma is real. That's the next book, baby. Yeah, food trauma. Food trauma is real. Are you guys allergic to anything? No. He thinks he is to dairy. No, I, 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 I'm not allergic to anything. But I, mm. when I, if I eat a lot of ice cream, I'll feel really shitty. But who doesn't? You know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're lucky. I'm. That's allergic. why I only have one little baby scoop. A little, yeah. Okay, what was what's your allergy? 
I'm allergic to the entire squash family. So pumpkin. <laughs> Straight up and down. Yeah. Yeah. So Halloween the and fall. The entire squash family. It's, it's a hellscape for me. So we're Gord talking season. Hellscape. Gourd yeah. season is your hellscape. Yeah. <laughs> so we're talking Source. butternut. We're talking pumpkin. We're talking you zucchini. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. When you think about it, that's a lot. Not really. I don't really find myself eating a lot of squash. I mean. I, I love squash. I mean, you can get a sweet potato, close yeah, your eyes, you're eating a fucking butternut. You know what I mean? Really? No. I don't know. Something. No. Yeah, every time I've... Nair. But nobody's ever like, oh, I really want to eat squash right now. <laughs> when you eat squash, you're like, it tastes okay. Like, it's not, it's not that good. It is very good. You're wrong. But it's also super seasonal. So when you're eating farm to table and you're eating in restaurants, that's going to be something you're going to have to dodge. Yeah, yeah. In winter, it's... you're just like... <gasps> It's pretty bad. I, I mean, of all the things to be allergic too, to, it's weird. squash is pretty low impact compared <laughs> to so many. Like if you're if you can't eat dairy or you can't eat seafood or like these big boys, like that'll fuck you up. Well, but the big boys, squash, no biggie. Big boys to me are either peanuts or shellfish, like that broad spectrum stuff where it sneaks up on you or it's been packaged in something like really. Mm-hmm. Like gnarly. Because those are the ones where if you have an allergy to it, it's like call yeah. 911. Like the EpiPen peanut like, allergy. I don't feel good. I don't think I'm going to go out. <laughs> like it's not that. No, I think mine is like edging on that. Um, when I used to work, so you I get worked. some hives? Well. Get some gourd hives? It gets kind of crazy. I, um, first time I had pumpkin pie was in preschool and my throat started to close up. Clear! <laughs> Damn. Basically. But when I worked for Christina Tosi, she was making a butternut squash sorbet and we were standing on the opposite sides of her bakery and she was like, hey, this is far enough, right? And it was like, imagine the size of a gigantic bakery. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's good, that's good. And then she was juicing it, right? So just juicing a gigantic cambro of this squash. And I So just like the squash particles being in the air. My entire face (gasps) was a gigantic rash and just like red eyes and a customer came in and I was like, hi, can I help you? They're like, no, I'm good. Thank you. Never coming here again. I just wanted to make sure you were open. Bye. So the squash became weaponized in the atmosphere. (laughs) Basically, yeah. So anyway, so weaponized. I thought you were going to say like, I came into work and I was like, "Mm, ice cream and I took a bite and they were like, sure. No, yeah, but what? And weird. so, did you? I like that. Art, this segment is now. What's the worst thing that you ever ate? <laughs> did you just have to go home and just be like, uh, "Bye, I'm done for the day." Like, and you? Yeah, to- yeah. I mean, because I, because when I was a kid, for years, I would carve pumpkins at Halloween, mm-hmm. and my parents the next day I'd have like crazy rashes, and they'd be like, "Oh, you're allergic to chocolate or nuts or something sure. from How, Halloween." You're allergic to fun holidays. Yeah, and I was like, "Nope." That's not right. And finally, one year, I rubbed my eye, and I could not open my eye. <laughs> wow. This is the first time I've heard. Like, allergies to you me are pink so... eye. This is like an orange eye. Yeah. I'm allergic to work. <laughs> Am I right, guys? <laughs> yeah, three times. Uh, okay, um, what's the best thing you ate all week, Andre? The, so we just got back from a wedding in Santa Fe, and... The region is just rich with hatch chilies, obviously. I don't think I was able to order. It was was a struggle to not find something with hatch chili in it. But one of the first places I ate at. Delicious. 
Um, Don't need it every day. Had just a fried hatch chili appetizer that was like strips of hatch chili kind of tempured and fried, and it was really nice. What's the dip situation? Uh, it was like a ranch. Oh. But a good ranch. Hot, good. hot ranch. But I think, I was just trying to think of something that, I mean, I forgot that we didn't do one for two weeks, so I only went back this one well, week. Over and there, that was five days in Santa Fe. Over there Fe. in Santa Fe, they, have a, they, they call it Christmas style, where you get half green chili, half red chili sauce. Which and, is fun. I did like that. Which is fun. I got a breakfast burrito that was pretty much just a tortilla filled with um, burnt bacon and hash browns. <laughs> And covered with this half green, half red, and it was and it was so good. Yeah, I couldn't stop eating it, and it was not good. But like uh, for some reason, I really liked it, and I liked the red a lot more than the green. If I can be honest. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's got like some heat, and I think like that's actually kind of con- that's concentrated, that's reduced. I mean, so because the red's dried. Yeah, and as opposed to all the green hatch is done fresh. It's like an aged, like a dry aged chili. That's you know why what you I do mean? the Christmas though. I like the blend. Yeah, Christmas is great. Yeah. If you have the option to blend, you're always going to blend. Also with the sole. <laughs> if, if you don't blend, who are you? Why are you even living still? <laughs> what I the one my big surprise about the food out there is that they treat pasole like rice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That it's like you don't really get like beans and rice. You get like pasole and rice. Because I we were at um, a catered event that had pasole, and I was like, where are the bowls? And they're like, no, you just put it on the plate with like everything else, and you treat it like rice. And I was like, no, no, it's, I'm from <laughs> it's, LA. Yeah, it's a soup. That pozole no. is kind of like uh, it's like curry. But it was fun. Curry I just had to be, there. I had to be taught something. Mm-hmm. About Did you guys it. go to Parasols when you were there? No, no. Um, we should have talked to you before we went to the wedding. Yeah, it's like a women's clothing boutique. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, yeah, you can get really good pantsuits there. Mm. Um, <laughs> no, they have basically. So it's a local kind of. I don't want to say chain in Santa Fe, but um, they make this incredible crispy taco and it has hatch chili covered in it. And it's just like, mm, I would have loved to have eaten that. The best thing. Like every time I go to Santa Fe, it's. I feel like we scoured every inch of Santa Fe and we did never not see a single parisol. Reading, talking to locals, we didn't get the, the pro tip. I, that was my first time being there. We should, too, have, so. we should have done this pod pre wedding. Or they should have pushed the wedding back (laughs) next time. All right, what's the best thing that you had all week? Do you, I mean, aside from the almonds, not always also best, just fun, whatever you like. I'm trying to think. Maybe just a noteworthy one. Um, or maybe what you're looking forward to eating while you're in LA on holiday. Yeah, well, so I've been going a lot to a new restaurant um, in Lower Manhattan. It's right near Mission Chinese. It's called Sweet Green. (laughs) Is it a pokey spot? It's called McDonald's. How bad is Sweet Green? I think it sucks. What do you think? <laughs> I think it's fine. <laughs> you don't have to answer his rude questions. I like salad. Um, yeah, me too. That's yeah. why I see Sweet Green is sacrilege. <sighs> anyway, salad, I, I really like... There's something there. Uh, <laughs> Servos, it's a new restaurant. It's Portuguese. Servos? Mm-hmm. Um, mm. This guy, Nick Perkins, who used to be at Diner and Marlowe and Sons, is the Love chef that. and owner there, and... It's super good, and they just make all the food that you want to eat. It's like they have fresh oysters. They have um, these gigantic shrimp that are cooked in this kind of spicy chili sauce, um, Mm. clams in a white wine sauce, Mm. jamon, I mean, Mm -hmm. a little sherry, good Mm -hmm. wine. Servos. Servos, yeah. That sounds really nice. 
Okay. Yeah. Next time I go to New York, I'm going to sniff around servos. Where should I go eat tonight? That's what that was we the question. Were, uh, I'm I'm really feeling some cold Korean soup. Yeah. But also, like, I'm a little, I'm a little on the hangovery. So, like, now Uh-oh. this double double talk is starting to perk my interest a little bit. <laughs> I feel like it's too hot, though, right? Like, it's it's so hot outside. I know it's so yeah, but but also like, I think a Koreatown is going to be the move, like a cold soup and then maybe like a nice acai bowl for dessert inside Wind Spa. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that'll work. Dude, hit the Wind Spa cold cold sauna, mm-hmm. the ice room. What about a charcuterie plate, a kisbaka with rosé? Oh, so good. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) Stop. Stop it right now. Um, But also, I had nachos for dinner last night, and uh, so I should probably have like a more responsible meal that's not so bad for me. Mm -hmm. I need some nutrients tonight. Some bulgur. What sounds really good to eat tonight in L.A.? Uh, I don't. I was thinking about. Be Have you had the yeah, yeah. tacos dorado, the shrimp tacos dorado from uh, Marisa's Jalisco's? Yes. Okay. So good. Um, what is it? Sap. Oh, Sap Coffee Shop. I was kind sure. of. Kind well, of this is to like. There. Have you been there? Yes. It's like you know. It's so good. Two minutes from here. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the jade noodle with the duck. I think the problem. Just don't go to Kismet, and you'll be good. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Fair. Actually, I went to Kismet like three times the last time I was here. So, uh, no, I feel like LA has so much to offer. It's kind of overwhelming. So, truly, I don't is. know. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, my my Lyft driver was like, he's from New York, and he's like, California, it's not really, or LA is not a city. It's like more of a state. It's, he, he said LA is sort of like New Jersey, where it's just a bunch of little towns connected by roads. I agree completely. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. And I was like, how dare you call us New Jersey? <laughs> One star. Uh, <laughs> Helen, thank you so much for doing the show. It's been a true pleasure. Thank you for having and me. And if you want to go check out Munchies First, new cookbook, you can pre order it on munchies.com, I guess. Munchies.tv or, you know, your favorite retailer, whether it's, it's Amazon. It's on Amazon, all that shit. Urban Late Outfitters. night meals from the world's best chefs. You can follow me on social media at them jeans. Andre Conaparo has no social media because he's cool. The nope, stew podcast cool dot com is the website where everything lives. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you guys. Thank See you. Guys next week. <laughs> I'm just beginning. The pen's in my hand. Ending a plan. Staring at the blank page before you. Open up the dirty window. Let the sun illuminate the words that you cannot find Reaching for something in the distance So close you can almost taste it Release your inhibitions Feel the rain on your skin No one else can feel it for you Only you can let it in No one else, no one else Can speak the words on your lips Drench yourself in words unspoken
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.